everyone. My name is Keith. And I'm Christine. And welcome to Your Favorite Canadian, a podcast about your favorite Canadian people, places, and things. This one's about your favorite Canadian actor. Absolutely. And we had 51 tremendous nominees. And we are making our way through the first round. We are almost done the first round. We have another two episodes left after that. This week, we are putting six amazing performers up in uh, three sets of face-to-faces. So On tonight, this episode, we're joined by Heather, Matt, Mark, and Melanie. And Keith and I will also be presenting an actor from the list. And our good friend Dan is on assignment tonight. So best of luck, Dan, where, wherever you may be. Dan's fine. He's on vacation. So tonight we are going to see Colleen Dewhurst against Ellen Page with Christine presenting Colleen Dewhurst and Melanie presenting Ellen Page. We have John Candy presented by Mark against Bruno Gerussi presented by me. And we have Sarah Polly presented by Matt against uh, Wayne Robson presented by Heather. So those are our new face-offs, but Keith, do we want to, do you want to review the results from the last one? Yes. Let us jump into last week's results. I'm just pulling them up right now on my computer. And uh, yeah, so last week's face-offs, we had three big ones, a lot of big names on that one. And we also broke some records in our voting numbers. So let's do the big one last. So our results from last week, our three face-offs featured on the show. Um, first off is uh, Sandra O oh versus Colm Fior. Sandra O oh presented by Dan, Colm Fior presented by Heather. And that one went 70% to 30% in favor of Sandra O. Oh. That's, nope. I kind of expected that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that one. That's how I voted. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I really like Colm Fior, but it's, it's, I think it's, she's so hot right now. And, to, and I wouldn't have been disappointed if it had gone the other way either, yeah. to be fair. But. I felt a little bit like an NFL player compared to a CFL player, if you were. <laughs> Our second one, sometimes you want things to go a certain way, but you know they're going to go a different way. Um, Christopher Plummer versus Norma Shearer. Heather presenting Christopher Plummer, myself presenting Norma Shearer. That one went 80 to 20, 80% for Christopher Plummer. Oh, um, wow. Not really surprised, though. No. Mm -hmm. But I I thought Norma would have got a a few more. I think we had a lot of people, and this is not a knock at you or me or a praise at me, but I think we had a lot of people that voted on that one that didn't listen. Um, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. We always do. um, And that's not, that's just the nature of a Facebook poll. But a lot of people, I think, would have been more attracted to her if they knew more about her. Mm -hmm. Mind you, Christopher Plummer is. Christopher Plummer, for Christ's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And the final round, uh, which actually wound up getting over 2,100 votes um, and brought us a lot of new people at the Facebook site at Fave Campod, was William Shatner, uh, repped by Matt, versus Graham Greene, repped by Dan. Um, And the final vote on that was uh, 57% went to Graham Greene over William Shatner. Um, Matt, would you like to comment? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I would. Thank you. Uh, So I didn't realize, uh, I I might have mentioned before, and if I haven't, uh, but I'm pretty sure I did. I love Star Trek. It's just one of my things. Uh, What I didn't know is how much people on Facebook hated William Shatner, especially Star Trek fans. Uh, so as I naively walk into various Facebook uh, places and rooms with my pole in my hand and an optimistic smile, like, hey, guys, William Shatner, right? No, uh, no. Backfired uh, quite, uh, quite profoundly on me. But hey, visibility. What I will you say, might say Matt, you shat the bed. <laughs> you shat yourself in the foot. In that one. <laughs> you know what? These uh, are even worse you're... than losing. <laughs> losing was bad. This yeah. is worse. <laughs> the later stage of your campaign was very successful, though. It started at one point, it was 80 20. Um, and, yes. uh, and, and at one, I mean, you did, it did grow by going at the end to the point where if it ran another week, who knows what would have happened. Well, I learned how but to Greg target Green the, certainly uh, I learned how to target the audience, uh, essentially. <laughs> but I did not learn fast enough. 
I did the same with Norma Shearer, but I, I got a lot of uh, Facebook sites that haven't been updated in five or six years and a few that have memorials placed. In <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt, I'm curious about, did you, did you receive any comments about like, why people hate William Shatner so much? Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, of course, I'm sure it will come as a surprise to no one that we all have a Facebook group chat. And I did mention in it that uh, I asked several times and nobody ever really gave me a clear and concise answer other than fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> so not really. And I even mentioned to Keith uh, offline somewhere like, hey, he didn't like do anything that I don't know about that's awful. And I'm out here looking bad. And Keith uh, said, no, I don't think so. Man. I think you're okay. And people just don't like him very much. And I said, okay. Uh, so I don't know. I think there's been over the years, like, I don't know, but I think over the years there's been some uh, rumors or he like he's gained a reputation for being very arrogant and not like in a humorous, ironic way. So I don't know if maybe that's – and again, these are rumors, so I don't actually know, but I have and, heard and we, that he, he can be a bit of a prima donna. We did have one commenter who said that they met both at different events and Graham Greene was just such a nice – kind person and uh, Shatner was very shake your hand thank you very much and uh, I'll see you later um, and I mean you know Shatner's lineups would be longer if it was a fan convention or something like that but on the flip side too I mean we really can't underestimate admiration people have for Graham Greene too I mean that's a that's a big part uh, and uh, yeah good guy yeah, I, I I don't know. It was I was very nice. I'm very glad to see all the votes we got. So we moving on. Yeah, let's move on to uh, let's move on to the uh, presentations. So uh, I'd like to start first with uh, Heather and Matt for one last time in round one. This is Heather's last presentation for round one. It's Wayne Robson against uh, Sarah Pauly. So Heather, can you tell us about Wayne Robson? Okay, so Wayne Robson is a name you may not know, but I can almost guarantee you he's a face that you would know. Um, in fact, I bet he would be quite a familiar face. He was born in Vancouver, but raised in Toronto. And most of our listeners would probably know him for the Red Green Show. He plays the part of Mike Hammer. He began his career on the stage um, and then eventually moved into film and television. And even though he may not be a name that you're overly familiar with, he has had quite a prolific career. He's worked on many feature films here and in the States. Um, according to a CBC article, uh, this was released some time ago, but it was released uh, just shortly after his death. He's done more than 100 stage productions, 120 TV shows, and more than two dozen feature films um, since starting out in the mid-1960s. I actually created... A Wayne Robson game. You could turn it into a drinking game or just a regular game. And said game is simply choose a Canadian TV show, go to Wayne Robson's IMDb page, see if he was in it. Chances are he was. Um, he was pretty much in every TV show that we are familiar with from our childhood up until now. He was in The Littlest Hobo, The Edison Twins, Maniac Mansion, Road to Avonlea, Wind at My Back. What else? The Twilight Zone. Like I said, you name it, particularly a Canadian production, and he was in it. He has won and been nominated for a few Gemini Awards. He has worked with the likes of Kathy Bates, Gene Hackman, Robin Williams, Jack Lemmon, the fabulous Olsen twins, um, the incomparable Stephen Dorff, um, and of course, London the dog from Littlest Hobo. He has done voice work as well in Pippi Longstocking, Anne of Green Gables, the animated series, The Adventures of Tintin, and Bob and Margaret. And he has played characters in Double Double Toil and Trouble with the Olsen twins, Cube, Parents, Wrong Turn 1 and 2, Welcome to Mooseport, The Incredible Hulk, Survival of the Dead, The Diviners, for which he won a uh, Gemini, um, Harlan County War, and The New Twilight Zone, just to name a few. Sorry, guys. Oh, he was also in Popeye with Robin Williams, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, 
The Gray Fox, for which he was nominated for a Gemini for Best Supporting Actor. And he, as I mentioned, he did quite a lot of theater as well. He was set to perform in The Grapes of Wrath in 2011 for the Stratford Festival. Um, And unfortunately, while in rehearsals, just a few weeks before his 65th birthday, he did have a heart attack and pass away. And that production that year was, was mounted in his honor. Well, first of all, he came to my attention because he was in pretty much everything. But he was in my favorite all-time Christmas movie, which is One Magic Christmas with Mary Steenburgen. Fabulous movie. Um, and he actually plays a really great role. He's comedic. He's also able to play dramatic very well. He has quite a range. And I would encourage people to not just take my word for it, but actually Google him yourself, check out his filmography. Like I said, he's quite prolific. Um, It's a shame that he passed away kind of at his prime. I think he would have gone on to do lots more things, but, oh, and something that has been of great debate on this show, but I am pleased to confirm he was in the popular TV series, Bizarre. Um, So yeah, but I would recommend checking out Wayne Robson. The minute you see his face, you're going to be like, oh, that guy, he's in everything. I totally know that guy. Um, And he is a lovable character. Charming, lovable character. I I know your invention of uh, the Wayne Robson game. Yeah. The Wayne Robson game. Yeah. I'm telling you, I was so blown away by all the TV shows. Like I said, I can't even list them all, but name a Canadian show. Street Legal, The Rescuers Down Under. Is he the dark horse of this first round? Is he the the ultimate underdog? I feel like he could be because I just, like, he genuinely does have some serious range. I think it's unfortunate he passed away when he did. He um, kind of flew under the radar for most of his career. Um, But he really has chops. Like, I've seen him do dramatic stuff. He's obviously proved he can do Canadian or comedic stuff. I think he sort of got most well-known for the Red Green show here in Canada anyways. And everybody sort of thinks of him as just being like the comedic silly guy. But no, he's got some range and he's done a ton of theater as well. And I believe, Keith, I believe you were telling me that he aspired to make it to the Stratford Festival. And when he finally did, unfortunately, he passed away before his first performance, which is obviously very sad. Did he do, was it Dolores Claiborne or one of the... uh... He did. I forgot. Yeah. To, I can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, he was totally yeah. in Dolores Claiborne. Um, I don't remember him. Then. He was good. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of he does a lot of like these bit parts that like when you look at his face, you'll be like, oh god, yeah, he's in everything. And, and you have nailed it. He was reaching the age where he was about to hit the stride where he was going to be a busy, busy man. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Especially, you know, he was. I think. He, he might have gone more the direction of theater at that point in his career. Who knows? But I think either way, he was sort of making his mark. And unfortunately, yeah, he passed away of a heart attack at his home during rehearsals. Okay, let's go on. Matt, tell us about Sarah Pauly. Sure, Keith. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sarah Pauly. Sarah Pauly uh, is, uh, gosh, I hope I, I do her justice. Uh, learning about Sarah Pauly was very enlightening. What a human let alone what an actress. So what a woman indeed. Born 1979, just like me, you're the goat. Good sign. Uh, Sarah started early. She's done a hell and a hell of a lot. Uh, and it uh, seems to be something that she uh, took an immediate passion in at quite an early age. Uh, popping first to attention as Ramona. I don't know if anybody remembers Ramona. You might have to YouTube it. It was a quirky kids show on the CBC I'm a little young myself to remember Ramona. Uh, I wasn't really aware of it. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is. It's a little, it's a kid show. It's a CBC kid show. You know what you're going to get. It's cute. Where I personally became aware of Sarah Polly is in, of course, the CBC television classic, Road to Avonlea. This is absolutely a show that I was not the target audience for, which is fine. There is clearly a magnetic charm here to Sarah Polly and her starring role in it. I have carried the show well beyond its natural life through six seasons on the CBC uh, before it was finally peacefully laid to rest. Uh, 
Movies, yeah, sure. Movies, there's a small role. Uh, Adam Agoyan obviously uh, has uh, an interest at this point. Uh, he did this early 90s erotic thriller called Exotica. And when you think early 90s erotic thriller, uh, Shannon Tweed is who I think of first, not Sarah Polly. But be that as it may, it's a bit part. Uh, it's kind of like a, a little in and out small role. You can move on quickly. Uh, but the point is, is that it really sets the stage excuse me, for The Sweet Hereafter, uh, which was obviously a huge critical hit. Sarah Polly played the uh, role of somebody named Nicole. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to say a lot about it. Pivotal role, pivotal performance, really a must-see. Uh, moving on, I really kind of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say tuned out, but, you know, when, when somebody is not in a lot of the things that you are the target market for, you can be kind of a little unaware of their career and rise of it. Uh, so, again, though, another learning experience for me was in 1999. Sarah Polly is in this movie called Guinevere, uh, which I have not seen. And according to my research, very few have. I watched the trailer. And despite the magnetism of the actors involved, it's, uh, you know, it looks, it doesn't look great. It looks like an American romantic comedy. Uh, there's a very interesting story, however, behind uh, this movie and her time in it while making the movie. Uh, she would detail in a 2017 article in the New York Times, she wrote this piece called The Men You Meet Making Movies. Uh, this is published by the New York Times in 2017. It's about this time period in 1999 when she's making Guinevere and she gets summoned to um, the, uh, what's his name? Oh, right, he, uh, human garbage, Harvey Weinstein. And uh, he takes her in and he says, hey, I'm going to make you a star. All you got to do is have the right relationship with the right people. Sarah Polly sits there and politely tells him, hey, you're wasting your time. I don't really want to be a movie star. Bye. Uh, and she leaves. And uh, that was great. Obviously, nothing comes of the meeting. But you got to find this article. It's on the internet. It is called uh, The Men You Meet Making Movies. Check it out. Back onto a little lighter subject matter. Uh, Go. Go is a movie that uh, came out in 1999 as well. That was the probably the first time I was exposed to Lens, If You Steal My Sunshine, in addition to uh, Katie Holmes in, in movies rather than TV. And it was kind of like a, a coming of age movie for these kids at the time that were like into the rave scene and stuff. Anyway, it was sort of like a like an American pop cred movie uh, th that I think kind of pushed her up uh, another notch. But hey, we already know she's not really interested in being the movie star. So while she continues to make movies back in Canada. She'll dabble in big, bigger ones here and there. Like she did this movie Splice in the U.S. It's just not very good. But a much better Canadian movie like uh, My Life Without Me, which is uh, very good. It would be ignorant and uh, dismissive, of course, to uh, not mention her fantastic talent as a director. Sarah Polly won the genie for Best Director. Of course, we know it was called Away From Her, which stars the brilliant Julie Christie, as well as a bunch of other people that I have never heard of. Uh, Stories We Tell is an amazing and very personal documentary as well that Sarah Polly made uh, very recently. I think it's probably her most recent work as far as movies go. Again, it's not the kind of thing I think you should say a lot about because it really uh, is just the kind of piece that reveals itself uh, upon viewing. I watched it earlier this week. It's just fantastic and it's quite moving as well. Talk about your favorite Canadian uh, rights, human rights, social activism, Sarah Polly has had her teeth knocked out by riot police as far back as 1995, demonstrating. While she has mellowed in her years, she continues to be active uh, in politics and behind the scenes, things like that, endorsing candidates, giving uh, little speeches. And for my money, uh, probably a pretty underrated singer. Check out her cover of The Tragically Hip's Courage. Might make you cry, but she is an excellent candidate for my favorite Canadian. Nice. Thank you, Matt. Um, I liked her in, uh, you know, it was it was a, a good role, uh, short and sweet in some ways, but uh, in the John Adams uh, miniseries, she played uh, his daughter. Some good stuff there as well. I remember Go, and was she was she actually Ramona? Did she play Ramona on Ramona? Yes, I remember Ramona. It was the Beverly Cleary books. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I didn't know that was her. Crazy. She also awesome. was in One Magic Christmas too. No. Yes, she was. You right? are so, yes, you're absolutely right. She was a little girl. 
Yes, yeah. she played this a small role and she was a little girl. Yeah. The, the face off of the One Magic Christmas. Totes. <laughs> and the One Magic Ro- Christmas face off. And Ro- Rote Avonlea. Yes, yeah, Wayne Robinson did do Rote Avonlea. Right. Battle of Avonlea. This whole episode, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like to throw out that. I, I mean, I think she, you know, if she aspired to it and wanted to be a bigger quote unquote star, she could be. And it's super admirable that she's doing what she wants. Uh, too many people don't. Um, and a lot of talent gets lost in the wash, but, uh, you know, for someone who's been around as long as she has, her, her body of work is, is admirable. Yeah. I think she's a great pick for favorite Canadian actor. Actually. It's not, she's not a, um, a name that I picked out myself when I thought about what the list might look like, but yeah, I think she's a terrific pick. For sure. I think, I mean, I know I'm technically going up against her, but I am a huge Sarah Polly fan. I think, First of all, to go from child actor to have a career as an adult is a feat in and of itself. But I just think she's she kind she makes Canada proud. Like she's kind of a badass. She's ventured out into directing um, and done a phenomenal job. And she's just she's very clearly like her own woman. She does her own thing, and she's not kind of getting bogged down in the BS of Hollywood or even Canadian filmmaking. You know, she's she's genuinely seems like she's in it for the art. Yeah, because I think for somebody who works as much as she does, she keeps a very low profile. Like, I don't know if yeah. Sarah Pauly has ever been photographed by the paparazzi. Right, yeah. Oh, not Where showing up on TMZ. Been, she's probably doing something really wholesome, like gardening or something. <laughs> <laughs> the focus really seems to be more in the work than in the celebrity. Mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, my uh, favorite Sarah Pauly movie is Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is awesome. It's like the horror remake of the millennium. At that and the hills have eyes. Those are the two horror remakes. And Sarah Polly added tons to Dawn of the Dead. What a kick-ass movie. All right, sweet. Shall we move on to the next one? This one will be Mark and I. Um, Bruno Gerussi against John Candy. All right, Mark, tell us about John Candy. All right, John Candy, Canada's favorite uncle. Uh, from Ontario, uh, got started largely in Canadian TV and then did a little bit of American TV, but really found his stride when he started in SCTV, um, kind of like Canada's answer to SNL, even though SNL was started by a Canadian as well. He really showed his range with SCTV, playing dozens upon dozens of memorable roles from egotistical scumbags like Johnny LaRue all the way to the lovable Yosh Schmengi of the Schmengi brothers. Uh, If you haven't seen it, there's a mockumentary out there from like, I think it's 85 called The Last Polka. It's kind of a riff on The Last Waltz, but for the Schmengi brothers and their fictional homeland of Lutonia. And it's just so understatedly hilarious. Um, started to really get popular, I think, with Stripes. Uh, and then I think people of a certain age would recognize him more for a lot of secondary roles. Like he's a lot of cameos and small bits and stuff like Home Alone and things like that. But he had a really good stretch where he was getting some pretty high profile gigs and some leading man stuff like Uncle Buck, The Great Outdoors, Eyes uh, and Splash, things like that. Really just... Like, he can be hilarious and, like, you know, there's that really... But he also had a lot of heart and warmth and, like, most of his, even his comedic roles, he'll have a moment where he can really, really get you in the feels with, like, his genuine and sincere warmth. Um, He's also done a fair bit of voice acting. Uh, He had his own cartoon show called Camp Candy uh, and provided voices for things like The Rescuers Down Under. He has multiple credits in heavy metal, which is not something you would expect John Candy to have been a part of. Uh, And also, very Canadian of him, he was one of the owners of the Toronto Argonauts, uh, and his name is on the Grey Cup. I believe they won in 91 or might have been 93. I have to double check that. But anyway, so yeah, John Candy is a Grey Cup winner. 
How Canadian is that? Sadly, at the age of 43, uh, he passed away from what they believe was a heart attack, but uh, they didn't really look into it. And uh, I remember as a kid, like nowadays, celebrity deaths is kind of a thing with all the social media and all that. But this was the first time I ever felt that. Like, it was kind of strange to have someone that had been around your whole life, uh, but you never knew them. And to be emotionally impacted by that was a little weird, but also just goes to show how much, you know, he affects you as a performer. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Spaceballs. How I missed that one. That's probably like cult favorite. One of the better known things he had a a bigger part in that a lot of people would be able to point a finger at uh, as Barf the uh, satirical version of uh, Chewbacca. Yeah, uh, just if if you don't know John Candy, go watch some old clips of SCTV. Check out The Great Outdoors. I'll just check on Home Alone. And uh, it's, I think the... there's, he's the Poka King of the West and Home Alone. He was Yo Shmangi of the Shmangi Brothers. And there's something else. I'm forgetting it now. He had a lot of polka in his life. I think, I believe one of his parents was from like a Ukrainian descent. So he liked to get the polka out there whenever he could, which is, I don't know, something really charming about that to me. But yeah, for people of a certain vintage, John Candy, he's just like, I don't know. You just want to hug him. I think John Candy was just universally loved. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I think that's all you have to say. Yeah. yeah no, I, no I, I think um, I think he obviously widely regarded as somebody who was gone way too soon. Like he mm. was very, very funny. Um, by all accounts, he was just a really nice, lovable person. He, he was so young when he died. He still had so much of a career uh, ahead of him. So it's really, really sad that he passed away. Um, but you know, his legacy are, includes some really, really great roles. And like you were saying, Mark, I mean, some of them are kind of like little cameos, but there's some, there's some of the ones that I think stick out the most. Yeah, I agree. Even, even if it was a small role, you definitely remember it, you know, every role he did. And I think the fact that he was obviously very talented and was a great actor, but also was just like, had such a reputation for being like such a nice down to earth, like teddy bear of a guy that I think it's like, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that was like, Oh, I hate John Candy. He's awful. Like (laughs) you can't hate John Candy or anybody who's never heard of John Candy. I think even if you didn't grow up with his movies, I'm pretty sure like everybody's heard of John Candy. Yes. Yeah. My, uh, my one movie that never makes people's shortlist for John Candy movies is friggin' planes, trains and automobiles. Oh, oh God, yeah. Of course, yeah. Better than Uncle Bob. Yeah, that that shows like even though it's a comedy, he has some real good. Uncle. I mean, it is the yeah. it is the movie. He's got really good dramatic moments in that, and him and Steve Martin play off each other so well. Incredible movie. One thing I will say about John Candy that I just I think you could argue that when you watch John Candy in a movie, and it just seems like, and maybe this goes to his reputation of being like such a lovable guy, but he just seems to have chemistry with whoever he's on the screen with. Whether it's Dan Aykroyd or Steve Martin or Catherine O'Hare or whatever, like he just seems to have like, I don't know, there's just something like special about him when you watch him. That means, uh, I think that means you're up. All right, Bruno Gerussi. Again, I am backing an underdog here and I'm really not sure it should be this way. Bruno Gerussi should be an underdog to nobody. He is a star of stage, screen, theater. He is a Canadian institution and by all accounts, one hell of a nice guy. Bruno Gerussi was born in 1928 in Medicine Hat, Alberta. He was the son of Italian immigrants, and he had a working-class upbringing. When he was a young man, he developed an interest in performing and got to the Banff School of Training and Working and working uh, bills when he had to. Um, he was just a standout right from the beginning on stage, um, and uh, he went to Stratford in the 1954 season. I believe that was the second season. And stayed there for a number of years, a little break, I think, in 59. But he played Grumio in Taming the Shrew. He was Romeo. He was Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream. Ariel in The Tempest. He played Macduff. And this was a time, don't forget, and it's absolutely not intended to be a knock at Stratford today. But this is a time when the top Shakespearean actors in the world were there. We're talking Alec Guinness, uh, Ralph Richardson. Uh, the, the, the cream of the crop were there, and he was standing toe-to-toe with all of them with all of them. 
He then moved into CBC Radio for a bit. He hosted, he acted a bit, but he uh, hosted a mid-morning chat show called Jerusi. Um, and that went on for a little while. I mean, we're just talking, he was like a Peter Zosky type at, for a while. Uh, but then the 1970s happened. And the 1970s was Bruno Jerusi's time to shine. In 1972, he got the iconic role of Nick Adonidas on the Beachcombers. There has never been, and I'm going to say this, some of you guys are younger than me um, and, and missed out. There has never been and there never will again be another Beachcombers. Every Canadian show since has tried to have the popularity and the length and the impact that the Beachcombers has had. And none, not one Canadian show has come even close to being what the Beachcombers became. Some people will say, well, what about Hobo? Well, Hobo was our market. Beachcombers was everyone else. Um, Nick drove around uh, on the Persephone. It was his boat, his buddy Jesse at his side, uh, and uh, their, their, their nemesis Relic on the Highballer, and later the Highballer too, fresh at their heels. And they were going around looking for logs that had uh, strayed off from the quote-unquote log herd. Um, but there was a, the thing about the Beachcombers was it was it was a uh, it was an action adventure comedy. Now it wasn't all flash. Matter of fact, it was very little flash. But that was the charm. When they did try to get flashy in the late '80s, it didn't last too much longer. Um, it was the most well-loved Canadian show of all time. And the reason I am talking so much about the Beachcombers is so much of that was was Jerusi's influence. He was the anchor. He wasn't just the lead of the show. He was the heart and soul of the show. He was the show with other people around him. I mean, Relic was the Relic was the, the Kramer, if you will, but uh, Jerusi was the uh, was the show. Um, it ran for three hundred and eighty-seven episodes, nineteen seventy-two to nineteen ninety. Now, think about the CBC, the CBC television, how often political changes and stuff will get a show pulled. Uh, Beachcomber survived a lot of government changes um, because it was an institution, an institution unlike any others. Now, Jerusi himself was an Italian, um, but he played Nick, who was uh, Greek, and uh, really showcased Greek culture in a positive light. Um, and... I even worked with a woman who in 2009 still giggled like a schoolgirl, pardon the term, when I mentioned the name Bruno Gerussi. And she and I had a little chat and she told me everybody wanted either Bruno Gerussi to be their boyfriend or their dad. Um, and that within her little Greek community. Um, but that was the beachcombers. I mean, it was a time where they had people of all races and uh, ethnic backgrounds living and working together, and that stuff didn't come up too much. Really, the only derogatory thing that ever really came up was people making fun of Relic for being Welsh, um, which, you know, that's sort of a safe place to go. But the Beachcombers pulled off multiculturalism in 1972 in a way that uh, nobody has since, and people really have been striving. You just got to go back and watch the Beachcombers to see how to do it right. Um, it was a positive way of doing it. Now, simultaneously with the Beachcombers, the most popular nighttime show in the history of Canada, Bruno Gerussi hosted Celebrity Cooks in the daytime. That ran for 478 episodes, ending in 1987. Now, the most famous episode is when Bob Crane from uh, Hogan's Heroes, who was murdered by Willem Dafoe, allegedly, shortly after that. It wasn't actually Willem Dafoe, but it was a man by the name of John Carpenter. Um, See autofocus, good movie. Um, and, and and it was just basically people would come on and cook with Bruno and chat and stuff like that. And and I mean, it wasn't just Canadian celebrities. A young David Letterman was uh, once on Celebrity Cooks. Um, and then uh, he was uh, so well-loved that Jerusi was uh, kind of getting into ads for a bit. Um, he was, I believe, the first person to ever pitch a microwave on Canadian television. These new fancy things called microwaves. And part and par parcel with that, he was the McCain pitch man and may, I believe, as a child, been the person to first introduce me to the uh, deep and delicious cakes and the, uh, the deep dish pizza from McCain's. Um, there was a stand-up comedian who uh, I saw once. He lived uh, around Windsor, uh, not Windsor, around Detroit, I think it was. And 
he could pick up some Canadian television on the uh, antennas every now and then. And just the way it worked out, the only two shows he could pick up were Celebrity Cooks with Bruno Gerussi and The Beachcombers. So he actually grew up thinking that Bruno Gerussi was the star of every Canadian television show. So uh, sadly, he passed away in 1995. So my question that I was asking myself is, yeah, he's against John Candy, but why does Bruno Gerussi matter? Well, you got to think of culture and television in terms of the, the peak sometimes. You think of people like Lucille Ball and Jackie Gleason or uh, Archie or Carol O'Connor's Archie Bunker or Jerry Seinfeld, who just by sight um, define an era. Well, Bruno Gerussi defined 70s and 80s Canada, uh, the arts. He was the guy. He was the pinnacle. And, and sadly, being Canadian, we don't celebrate the individual as much as we do the group. So... <sighs> He's the uh, he, he's the, the the apex of that of everything Canadian raccoons uh, littlest hobo Jerusi was the kind of the face of that. Also, too, I mean, this is a guy who uh, you know again Americans go on about the American dream to go from being you know a uh, the son of poor immigrants to being the top star in the in the world, uh, and that's exactly what he did within Canada. And he did work on some American productions, but this man never left. He was a household name that was mentioned in conjunction with, uh, you know, your Gene Hackmans and your Dustin Hoffmans. But yet the way Canadian television and film was at that point in time, there was no distinction. He was as big a star as any of them in many homes. The fact he's not always in the conversation is kind of a shame and it just goes to show how, how quickly we forget sometimes. He was just the big star at the time when Canadian television, you could spot a Canadian television show a mile away. And that's the good and the bad. You know, you knew it was Canadian. Um, so, and 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 when the, the little elements of the beachcombers, the community, the the friendship, sometimes the low budgetness, when those come back in, in shows like Red Green or Corner Corner Gas, that's when them shows are good. And and I think just his 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 influence as an actor, and not just as an actor, but as a star of uh, an iconic show in Canadian culture just cannot be uh, overstated. Um, I grew up watching the Beachcombers uh, and, and certainly seeing it among commercials all the time and the odd episode of Celebrity Cooks. Uh, Bruno Gerussi is to me as Canadian as so many of the, you know, your, 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 your Terry Foxes and your Louis Riels and all these other Canadian icons that we grow up, Wayne Gretzky, knowing the name and the face right away. And we've kind of probably culturally done a bit of a disservice to Mr. Jerusi by just not having that name in the list all the time. And what better way to get him back naming him uh, your favorite Canadian actor? It's a long shot. He's up against Candy. I reckon. I recognize that. But uh, it's a great pitch on his behalf, though, Keith. Thank you. Yes, you, you make a great case. What's everybody else want? thinking? I, I wish Dan was here. I know Dan was a mm. beachcomber. Yeah, I think I admitted this uh, earlier in the uh, podcast series, but I don't know the Beachcombers. There are episodes available on YouTube. Me neither. (laughs) No, it was like, there's sort of, I feel like a little bit of a generation gap. Yeah. Like it it sort of faded out in the 80s. So anyone growing up through then might not have caught the train sort of thing. Like there's Danger Bay just after that. Like I know of it, obviously, but I never watched it. I, like my sister, we grew up in the same house. She watched it. She's very mm-hmm. familiar with it. Me, not so much. It yeah. ended in it ended in eighty eight, eighty nine, I think, or ninety. It was it was. I don't I don't I don't remember Beachcombers all that well either, to be honest. But I do remember. I think in ninety three, um, went on a family vacation into BC and we went to Gibson's where uh, Molly's reaches. And I remember like, <laughs> that was a big deal. So like I took my picture in front of it. Um, and I remember thinking, Oh, this is really cool. But now I look back and I'm, I really don't remember the show all that well, except to know that, yeah, it's kind of like an iconic Canadian show. Yeah. I, I don't want to belittle the show, but I mean, people have said this and it's like, how can you get 18 seasons out of two guys chasing logs? <laughs> and they did, you know, and it was, it's entertaining. It's hokey at times, but, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, those who, 
those who bang on about how great you know your danger bays and stuff like that are i mean this is a whole different whole different level you know uh, immediately canadian is the best way to put it i loved that cooking show that was my gateway drug to walk with yawn which would also come later on the cbc <laughs> yes i do you remember walk walk with yawn. yeah <laughs> loved it yeah I mean, we could get into a whole bunch of like urban peasant and uh, <laughs> show. I don't know if yes. it got mentioned yet was a neon rider. I don't know if that's been brought up yeah. yet. Yes. There's just, I used to watch neon rider. Uh, there's just a lot of good stuff. You know, we've got, we've still got a couple of uh, rounds to go. So let's just, we'll, we'll save our, uh, <laughs> some of our goodies for. I'm just realizing though that our like the 80s and early 90s was great for like Canadian television, particularly like kids. T- well, no, not even particularly kids TV. Oh, it was horrible too. Uh, let's not. But it was great horrible. Yeah, I mean, I I have watched every episode of Cats and Dog at least twice, and that was bad. I mean, <laughs> you know, that was not a good show. But I mean, Digby was in the doghouse and we many of us watched that. And All right. Can you tell us about Colleen Dewhurst? Absolutely. So Colleen Dewhurst was born in 1924 in Montreal, died in New York of cervical cancer at the age of 67. Fun fact about her, her father, Fred Dewhurst, played in the CFL for the Ottawa Rough Riders. <laughs> Sports fans, I will let you go and look up the history there. Um, so Wikipedia and maybe some US-centric media would probably have you believe she was best known for her theater acting. Um, she performed numerous roles with Shakespeare in the Park in New York. She was a celebrated theater actor both on and off Broadway. She won two Tonys, um, one in 1961 for best performance by a featured actress in a play for her role of Mary in All the Way Home, um, and another in 1974 for best performance by a leading actress in a play uh, for Josie in A Moon for the Misbegotten. She was also nominated for six other Tonys between 1962 and 1967 for best performance by a leading actress in a play. Definitely a leading actor sort of uh, sort of phase for her. And was uh, inducted into the American Theatre Hall of Fame in 1981. She was also nominated for a dozen primetime Emmys for her work on television, uh, winning uh, twice for her role uh, on Murphy Brown as the title character's mother, Avery Brown Sr., um, and for her roles in the TV movies Between Two Women with Farrah Fawcett and Those She Left Behind with Gary Cole. Um, (laughs) I watched some clips of Dewhurst on uh, Murphy Brown, and a standout moment for me was when she uh, puts on this Billie Holiday record and Murphy comes out of her room to find her mother belting out this tune and kind of sneaks up on her and watches her and just kind of like enjoys her in this moment. And I thought like, what a terrific little sort of tidbit, these two adult women, mother and daughter. Um, and the two actors just, I felt really had terrific chemistry together. Um, uh, Dewhurst also won um, two Obie Awards. Those are uh, for off-Broadway work, which is kind of funny. Um, and two Gemini Awards, which of course are the Canadian Film and Television Awards. Colleen Dewhurst, like striking features, gravitas whenever you see her on, on screen. I have never seen any of her theatrical work, but um, even on film, you can kind of see how grounded she was in her performances. And I can just imagine what it would be like to to see her perform on stage. The role I really remember, however, is uh, Marilla Cuthbert in Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea. Um, She was protective and proper and cold and guarded at times. And then and then she like smiles or laughs and my like little empath heart just sort of spills over. Um, She was so nuanced. There's always so much kind of going on behind her eyes and uh, so much internal emotional life in in that character and in generally generally in her performances even when you know her face was like can be so cold and stern and yet there was obviously something warm and complex going on inside listening to her interviews about Marilla she really knew that character inside and out she knew her from the books and from the scripts um, this complex fully realized, character who was like both harsh and at times funny. Um, And I felt like she just really did an incredible job of embodying that role. 
Um, so, you know, she worked on so many projects. She has 93 acting credits just included on her IMDb. Um, she brought to life this character who to me is one of the most memorable on Canadian television from Canadian literature. And I think she deserves your consideration as one of Canada's favorite actors. Thank you, Christine. I don't think anyone could have said it better themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the highlights for most of us would probably be Avery Brown and Marilla Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, you your thing about there's so much going on behind the eyes. As you've said that, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I, I agree completely. You can see her constantly thinking. Now, whether that's the character thinking or the actor thinking or the actor as the character thinking, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really care. She's always amazing. Mm-hmm. Always just so, so present. Tell us about uh, Ellen Page. Ellen Page, uh, only in her early 30s and has already been in the business for more than two decades and has an Academy Award nomination under her belt. Not too shabby. Uh, Ellen Page was born in Halifax in 1987. She got her start on Canadian TV, of course, with roles on Pit Pony, Trailer Park Boys. In 2005, she starred in a little movie called Hard Candy opposite Patrick Wilson. In this movie, she plays a young teen who tortures a man she suspects of being a pedophile. Uh, the film had mixed reviews. It is very intense, uh, but Ellen was praised for her performance. But it was a couple of years later that she had her breakthrough role as the titular character in Juno, alongside an amazing cast, uh, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Gardner, Michael Sarah, Allison Janney, uh, J.K. Simmons. Uh, her performance as a teen facing an unplanned pregnancy earned her multiple Best Actress nominations, including at the Oscars and the Golden Globes. I think she, maybe she was robbed there. Uh, Roger Ebert said he believed it was the best performance of the year. Uh, that same year, she also returned to her Canadian roots, starring in the movie uh, The Tracy Fragments, which was a Canadian psychological drama. Where else have you seen Ellen Page? Well, you may have seen her in the two X-Men films, uh, in Inception, alongside Nobody's Leonardo DiCaprio and Michael Caine. If you're a gamer, you may know that Ellen voiced and did motion capture for Beyond Two Souls, which my husband informed me. Um, She's also hosted SNL. Ellen Page maintains very strong roots to her home province. She has regaled late night talk show hosts, not with trite celebrity anecdotes about meeting other celebrities, but with stories of the Halifax explosion, for example. Uh, Recently, she directed, produced, and did cinematography for There's Something in the Water, which was a documentary on environmental racism in Nova Scotia, which I have not yet seen. It is on my... uh, It is on my list of things to view. It is on Netflix. Uh, A couple of years ago, she married Emma Portner, who is a fellow Canadian, also a dancer and a choreographer. And their marriage came just a few years after Ellen came out publicly as gay during the speech. And although I think she keeps a fairly low profile uh, for somebody who does a lot of like high profile things, um, she has used her platform multiple times in support of LGBTQ rights. She's also traveled around the world with her documentary series, Gaycation, meeting members of the LGBTQ community and sharing their stories. Uh, and most recently, you can catch her in the superhero drama, The Umbrella Academy, on Netflix, which I have not yet seen, but my husband just finished watching the first season and he really enjoyed it. And I saw a clip of her last night with glowing eyes. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. And that's Ellen Page. Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I this this matchup is tough for me because I love Ellen Page. And, and I think... I mean, I think uh, Nova Scotians are very fond of and proud of her. Um, I recently watched uh, There's Something in the Water, and I have to say, admit, like, at first I kind of was unsure if there was some virtual virtue signaling going on or, like, she kind of seemed to be drawing attention initially to her platform or herself as a celebrity, but I kind of quickly realized that part of the the point was like, hi, we need to, those those people with platforms need to use those platforms. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it totally made sense in the end. I don't think, I don't think Ellen Page is somebody who speaks out to get the 
attention. Agreed. I think she's somebody who speaks out um, because she really feels like she can make a difference or it's something really important to say. Um, she, I think a couple of years ago, sort of waded into what's happening in the U.S. Um, uh, she condemned uh, Vice President Mike Pence's views on gay marriage and spoke out about that. You know, even though, you know, even though she's somebody who seems to want to like avoid a lot of um, I don't know, like gossip and sort of others, yeah. like celebrity sort of news. I think she speaks out when she thinks it's really, really important. And otherwise, like I said, she maintains a pretty low profile. And I remember after Juno, people were saying, oh, like she's the next big thing and you're going to mm -hmm. see her everywhere. But then she sort of flew under the radar and I think is really selective with the roles that she picks. And kind of bounces back and forth between sort of like bigger Hollywood productions and more independent films. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of, you, you touched on her appearances on talk shows. She does do that where she appears <laughs> and like, it's, it's sort of like, oh, okay, like you're interested in me right now because I have some sort of celebrity or I'm, I'm on some sort of project everybody wants to know about. That's cool. Like, let me tell you about environmental racism while I'm here. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and I think that's and that's that's really great, and I think that's really refreshing for uh, to see a celebrity do. And I think it's just isn't it so Canadian? Like, isn't that great? <laughs> a friend of mine once said, "There will always be a place for Ellen Page as long as she wants to be there." Mm. And to me, that's uh, that's kind of a good way to put it. I mean, this this is a tricky one for me. Uh, this this vote, actually, in some ways, they'll they'll all be a little tricky. I think it's very impressive that, I mean, she's still so young, has a huge career ahead of her mm -hmm. and is, you know, not just looking for acting roles, but she's producing and she's directing and, she, you know, she's doing documentaries on subjects that clearly mean a lot to her and also helps raise the profile of serious issues happening in her home province. So she hasn't forgotten where she's come from, mm -hmm. but more so than that, she's still trying to make make a difference, even if she isn't living here right now. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's something in the water as an example. She could have, if she was just interest, interested in environmental racism, that documentary could have been filmed anywhere. Mm -hmm. But she came here and worked with a local author and academic to make that happen. So I think that's just, yeah, I'm a big, big Ellen Page fan and I'm so glad that she is an example of how you can use that platform to do good. Anybody else? Now here's the. I, uh, I, uh, I was once in the presence of Ellen Page when the offspring filleted Citadel Hill. It was a free concert, and I ate a bunch of mushrooms and went. And uh, <laughs> Ellen Page was there, and I was grinning at her widely, and she was really polite about it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her once at the Halifax Market and didn't say anything. She, you know, but I saw we, her. She was there. We talked I think about it was her. It was probably wasn't. Her. I don't know. We talked about this a bit with the Ryan <laughs> Rachel. Um, uh, matchup and I feel like Ellen Page is also someone I wouldn't want to like I, I wouldn't want to interrupt you know what I mean like yeah mm -hmm. I just want you to like en enjoy what you're doing and your life and not be interrupted by me fangirling about it and enjoy your day <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how I feel about Sarah Pauly too yeah. like I probably shouldn't I have nothing to add <laughs> it's like you just yeah yeah she, yeah just sort of like Smart, smart, strong women. Mm -hmm. A little, uh, a little interest, a uh, little interesting to, to note the year that um, that Ellen Page was nominated at the uh, Oscars. Uh, Julie Christie was also nominated for Away from Her in the same category, and they both lost to uh, Marion Cotillard for um, La Vie en Rose. Mm. Yes, yeah. But Ellen, like her, Ellen's performance in Juno is incredible. The part where she's, I just remember there's the scene, I can't remember what leads up to it. She's in her car and she's having like a breakdown. I think it's after maybe they think the adoption is going to um, fall through. And she breaks down in her car and it's just, I don't know, it's just an, inc it's just an incredible performance. I don't think I can uh, give justice to it by just talking about it, but um, it's amazing. If you haven't seen Juno, it's such it's such a good movie. Go and see it. Melanie, have you ever seen um, an American Crime? No, but I I've heard of it. it. I would say like 
viewer discretion. It's very, um, it's based on a true story and the true story is very horrific. Um, and the movie, you know, doesn't pull any punches, but it's incredibly intense and she is very good in it. It's kind of hard to watch, but I guess that, you know, that's kind of the point. But she does do a great performance in that as well. All right, guys. Now it's the moment of, of truth. We have three face-offs. Uh, I'll just go in the order you are appearing on my screen. Mm-hmm. Christine, how do you think these three are going to turn out? And just to remind everyone, we have uh, um, Sarah Pauly against Wayne Robson. We have Bruno Gerussi against John Candy. And we have Ellen Page against Colleen Dewhurst. Yeah. So how do I think they're going to turn out or how am I planning to vote? Well, usually both. Okay. We, we sort of work both in usually. Okay. Um, yeah. So Wayne Robson versus Sarah Pauly. I think it's going to be Sarah Pauly all the way. Personally, that's how I'm going to vote. Um, John Candy and Bruno Gerussi. I've got to go with John Candy on that one. I have a feeling that, that the uh, audience will also go that direction, but... You never know. I am also like I have acknowledged I'm not of the Beachcombers um, audience, so I may be underestimating that influence there. Um, and Ellen Page and Colleen Dewhurst, I'm so torn on this one. I myself, I think, have got to vote for for um, Colleen Dewhurst, but uh, as I said, I'm a big Ellen Page fan. I think she's terrific. I think she's doing great work. I think she's a fantastic actor and also incredibly deserving of your votes. So those are my thoughts. Mark. So uh, I think uh, out of that first matchup, I probably got to go with Sarah Polly. A little more on my radar. Very charming. Obviously, I got to go with John Candy, not just because I was representing him, but because I genuinely just love him so much. And the third one that is tough. Um, I'm a little young for Colleen Dewhurst era, but Murphy Brown was a staple in my house. Uh, My mom was a huge fan. And I remember very just sort of powerful presence of Colleen Dewhurst, but also Ellen Page is quite a heavy hitter these days, very talented and so much more time left to do things. Uh, I guess in the audience, I'll probably go with Ellen Page just because of name recognition. I'd probably go the same way myself. Matt, how are you sitting, buddy? Sarah Polly, John Candy, Ellen Page. Those are my votes. That's what I expect the results to be. I'd be shocked otherwise. And Heather? Um, I think as much as it breaks my heart, I, I can totally see Sarah Polly beating out Wayne Robson. Um, I'm going to be voting for Wayne. I love the guy. I it's That's a tough one. I find this week is a couple of tough matchups. John Candy. I'm going with John Candy, and oh. I kind of think the audience will as well. Um, and the th- I think this third one is probably the hardest for me. Um, I love them both. They both really have, like, such a a place in my heart. But I think, I think Ellen Page will win. I really want to vote for – I think I'm going to vote for uh, Colleen, though. Melanie. I'm going to agree with Matt. I think it's going to be Sarah Pauly, John Candy, and I think I think Ellen Page. I think it's a good matchup, and it's obviously going to depend on like the, probably the demographic of who's voting. I would say maybe a little bit, but I'm going to uh, put my money on myself and Ellen Page. I think we're all in agreement. To be honest, I think we're. I'm not going to say which is which, but I think we're we're, we're looking at three, uh, two definite blowouts and one that's going to be closer than people expect. Mm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I think everybody um, on the list this evening is a good example of kind of what I imagined favorite Canadian actors would be when we first started talking about this podcast. That, yes. you know, that they're people who've not just, not only gone and found success in the U.S., but have like appeared on important Canadian television programs um, and uh, and also found some broader success as well. Absolutely, Christine. That's 100%. Every one of them has been on a uh, iconic Canadian show as a, as a, at least a, a semi-regular. Uh, Facebook.com slash uh, favecanpod. 
Um, and the voting will be up until I'm going to say August 31st. Um, and we'll schedule our next recording session uh, around that. Are you taking votes by email this time around? You can always send them by email if you're if you're not a Facebook user, but uh, Facebook is the the prime. So if you do want to email, it's favecanpod at gmail.com, F-A-V-E-C-A-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. Spread the word. Let people know we're out here. Uh, we're getting some information. We've been hearing from a number of people who are hearing us for the first time and then binge listening, which I'm really, really liking hearing. Uh, it's it's one of these things that once you're through the gateway, I think you'll 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 enjoy it a bit more. And we are starting to get a lot more uh, starting to get a lot more comments on our Facebook site, which is also really nice. Engage us. We 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 love the debate. That's why we set ourselves up to do a show where we are essentially debating with our friends. That's it for us. Hey Thank guys. you, Melanie, Heather, Mark, Matt. We appreciate you all very much. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how these matchups turn out. And Heather, we'll see you in round two. See you then, guys. And wherever you are, whenever you are, watch the Beachcombers, for Christ's sake. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening. See you guys.